Greetings, I stand to you as today a member of a domestic terrorist organization, according to the Board of Supervisors of San Francisco. And I'm serious. Not a joke, not a funny. When they passed that, they said, and we hope all the states and cities in this nation will join us. <clears throat> that was published an article by Brendan Cole in Newsweek, 9-14-19. You want to check it out. Now, the Board of Supervisors, they were formed in July of 1856. They've been around a while. The domestic terror organization that I'm a part of is the National Rifle Association. They were formed in 1871, originally to promote and encourage rifle shooting on a scientific basis that was formed by two colonels in the army that were, had not been impressed with the shooting abilities of their soldiers. <coughs> Since then, the rank and file members said, we are, we are in danger of losing our Second Amendment. We want you to fight for that. And so they have been. They also are the go-to place if you want to learn how to be safe with firearms. That's the big call, right? Let's make firearms safe. The main thing is keep booger, booger hook off the bang switch. They won't, they won't shoot all by themselves. But anyway, <coughs> California, along with five other states, do not have the right to keep and bear arms in their state constitution. Do your math, that leaves 44 states that do have that in their state constitution. You'll hear people say, oh, it's just this horrible uh, national government that's pushing it. No. <coughs> that's not the focus of my message today. So all of you, you, you getting worried. Uh, it was a spotlight to show how far this nation has moved from the, our founding fathers' concept of a nation and the rights of its citizens. Our Constitution limits government. All the rights that are not in that document given to the government belong to the citizens, period. I've given several messages about concealed carry and the war that's going on about our future, whether we will continue to have the freedoms that our Constitution guarantees or allow them to be taken away. Those messages have no doubt bothered some folks. They bothered me. I didn't like giving them. But I felt it necessary to share what I perceive as very real threats to us because we are being targeted by the world. They need to do away with our Constitution in order to continue unchecked in their plans. Like I say, I'm not going to talk about that. I've come to realize that all of these attacks on our civil rights are tools that are being trying to be used by people that, like I said, want to do away with it. Okay? And God could use those people to attack us. Why would God use people to attack us? Because that's one way God would bring judgment upon us. 
God uses his people's enemies to bring judgment upon his people, right? You see, I've started to see these attacks as warnings, wake-up calls to God's people. I realize that what I've been saying and talking about are actually what people going back in time could have seen as God tried to get them to turn back to him. God always gives warnings to people in order for them to avoid the punishment that will be coming to a place like Nineveh. Jonah didn't want to go there, right? God was going to wipe them out. You know why Jonah didn't want to go there? Because he knew that they might repent. And if they repented, God wouldn't destroy them. And Jonah really wanted it. <laughs> wanted God to destroy him. But God is a loving God. In Second Chronicles, we can read about God visiting Solomon after he had dedicated the temple. And Second uh, Chronicles 12. And Jehovah appeared to Solomon by night and said to him, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place to myself for a house of sacrifice. If I shut up the heavens and there is no rain, or if I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send a plague among my people. What is verse 13? It's a warning, right? It's a clue verse, if you will. God is saying, if you see these things happening, it's because you have become stiff-necked <coughs> and have gone away from serving me. And that has caused these things to occur. You want them to stop? Here's what you need to do. Verse 14, if my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. As a nation, we've become those people that God is speaking about. The evil that is rampant in today's world is absolutely horrid. Millions of babies are being murdered in the womb, in the safest place that God's designed for us. But people don't even notice stuff anymore. How, how horrible, you know, Glenda and I joke sometimes on, on commercials that if it, her, her grandmother and father were still here, they wouldn't be alive long because as soon as they saw some of these commercials, they'd have a heart attack and die. People don't even notice it. The frog in the boiling pot, folks. That in itself should make us quake with fear and shame. Want to know what kind of things I'm talking about? Just go to 18th chapter of, of Leviticus, and no, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna put that up. Esword has it titled as "Unlawful Sexual Relations." God gives a solemn warning about the consequences. In 18:24, he says, "Do not defile yourselves in any of these things." For in all these the nations are defiled, which I cast out before you, and the land is defiled. Therefore, I visit its wickedness on it, and the land itself vomits out those who live in it. Right after California legalized same-sex marriage, the fires started there. Now, they already had fires every so many years because... The idiots wouldn't clean up 
the dead branches and stuff in the woods. If you don't clean up the, the, the fuel, it will start a fire. And it'll happen every five, six years like clockwork. But they wouldn't do that. But after that point, fires started and they're still going. And that causes things, and that causes things, and that causes things, and none of them are good. <coughs> therefore, or you shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments, and shall not commit any of these abominations, neither the native nor the any stranger that lives among you. For the men of the land who were before you have done all these abominations, and the land is defiled. You shall not do these so that the land may not spew you out also when you defile it, as it spewed out the nations who were before you. Is that me? Uh, I met a gentleman at Walmart shortly after that started, and he was a, a pilot, aircraft pilot, and since I was captain at the aircraft rescue firefighter station, I struck up a conversation, and he asked me about that. He said, have you seen the fires in California? He said, the whole state's on fire. I said, yeah. He said, I think somebody's starting those. I said, yeah, God. And he looked at me, and he says, the God I believe in doesn't kill people. I just let it go. I wanted to say, you need to go back and read the book. But, you know, okay, you know. <coughs> Taking up at 29. For, whoso for whoever shall commit any of these abominations, even the souls who commit them shall be cut off from among their people. And you shall keep my ordinance so as not to do any of these abominable customs which were committed before you, and that you do not defile yourselves in them. I am Jehovah your God kind of states it, doesn't it? And guess what? Here's what can happen these days if someone warns, warns about these abominations. He or she can go to jail or be fined because it's considered hate speech. Check it out. In Canada, a pastor was successfully prosecuted under their hate speech laws because he warned against homosexuality. Their government has stated that the Bible is a source of hate speech. That's how they get you with the anti-discrimination laws that sound good at first until you realize what the real goal was to stop people from discriminating between good and evil. You know what? I believe that it's the same thing that happened back in biblical days when cities and countries went down that same road. It happened a little at a time, slowly getting worse and worse, until the people found themselves being destroyed by God's judgment. It's how Balaam, you remember him, right? Balaam and his donkey. He's the evil prophet that Balak, the king of the Moabites, and if I mispronounce their names, that's too bad. <laughs> as good as I can do. Uh, and the friend of the Midian, Midianites, whom the Hebrews had recently defeated, hired to come and curse the Hebrews. And God tried to dissuade him from going and screw the donkeys. It's all in Numbers 22 if you want to check that out. And it didn't, didn't turn out very well for the Hebrew haters. You see, Balaam couldn't curse them. 
Balaam had even warned Balak that his bunch and his bunch, that he could only say what God gave him to say. He was really a prophet. But he was an evil prophet because he respected money more than God. They promised him a lot if he'd show up and he won't show up. Now I'm going to go Paul Harvey on you and give you the rest of the story. That comes from Josephus' book, The Antiquity of the Jews, book 4, chapter 6. So here's Balaam wanting to help the Moabites destroy the Hebrews, but he can't curse them, even though he really wants to. Matter of fact, Balaam heaps blessings on God's people and curses on their enemies. Four times, Balak has him come back and, and, and try it again. And he tells him, you know, but he does. So, Blessings on the Hebrews, curses on their enemies. Whoever tries to come against them, it's going to go bad for them. <coughs> the last, the fourth time, uh, Balak just didn't even pay him. He said, get out of here. <laughs> so, again, he wants that money, right? Hmm, what to do, what to do. Aha, says old Balaam, I've got it. Here's a condensed version of what he tells Balak and the Midianites. It's true that God is not going to allow the nation of the Hebrews to be totally destroyed because they are his chosen people. And even if they experience a period of misfortune, they will eventually overcome it. He, but, he, but he warns them. He said, whoever got them in this trouble, God's going to smash them. And he was actually prophesying about what was going to happen to him because you read later in the scriptures where they kill him. But anyway, if you still really want to gain a victory over them, even if it's just for a little time, here's what you need to do. Get your best-looking young women who are able to seduce their young men and overcome their morals and have them do exactly that. Have them get the Hebrews to marry these women and then those women will turn them away from worshiping God. Then God will be angry with the Hebrews and he will bring judgment upon them. Then Josephus tells them Balaam left them and went his way. Reminds me of what the communists have done here today, the 1960s. They got their poor people in here and started very little, very little. So the Midianites had their women do exactly what Balaam had suggested. They came to the Hebrews and allowed themselves to be seduced by the young men. Then the women, when they knew that they had the men right where they wanted them. Told them they were going back home. Caused a lot of distress among these men. So much so that they promised the women that if they'd marry the men, they'd own all that the men had. Okay? And they even called on God to witness what they were promising the women. They swore to the women that they'd give the women any assurance 
that they desire, if only they'd stay. So the women told the men they would have to worship their gods. Since everybody worshiped them, and only the Hebrews worshiped their gods. Here's what Josephus said. So they gave themselves up to what they persuaded them and transgressed their own laws. And supposing there were many gods and resolving that they would sacrifice to them according to the laws of that country which ordained them, they both were delighted with their strange food and went on to do everything that the women would have them do, though in contradiction to their own laws. So far indeed that this transgression was already gone through the whole army of the young men, and they fell into a sedition that was much worse than the former, and into danger of the entire abolition of their own institutions. Sound familiar? For when once the youth had tasted of these strange customs, they went with insatiable inclinations into them. And even where some of the principal men were illustrious on account of the virtues of their fathers, they were also corrupted together with the rest. And he says, even Zimri, the head of the tribe of Simeon, accompanied with Cosby, a Midianitish woman, who was the daughter of Sur, a man of authority in that country, and being desired by his wife to disregard the laws of Moses and to follow those she was used to, he complied with her. And this both by sacrificing after a manner different from his own and by taking a stranger to wife. And when they did that, God brought judgment, just as Balaam had said he would. But as Balaam had said, the punishment of the Hebrews would not last long because why? God loved them. And when they repented, God would restore them. Some may wonder why I bring all this up, foreign gods and all that. After all, this is the 21st century. Here's why. There are people today worshiping those same gods. Glinda worked with a woman uh, whose mother was the leader or queen of the Ashtaroth sect. Okay? And this woman that Glinda worked with was hoping that someday she would get be the leader of this coven or whatever you want to call it. I don't know that it's coven, but it was definitely what we don't call it. <coughs> so don't fool yourselves. There are still those who worship false gods, and they are the exact same false gods. That's why God told this to Solomon in the hope that his warning would be sufficient. You know, the, the old saying, a word to the wise, positive. Well, it only takes common sense. Sometimes people don't have that. <coughs> Going back to Second Chronicles 7 and picking up at 15. There, uh, now my eyes shall be opened and my ears shall be opened to the prayer of this place. This is after the people humble themselves and pray and seek his face and turn from their wicked ways. For now I have chosen and sanctified this house so that my name may be there forever and my eyes and my heart shall be there forever. All they had to do, right? 
was followed. And you, Solomon, if you will walk before me as David your father did and do according to all that I have commanded you and shall observe my statutes and my judgments, judgments, then I will make the throne of your kingdom sure as I have covenanted with David your father, saying, there shall not fail you a man to be ruler in Israel. But if you turn away and forsake my statutes and my commandments, which I have set before you, and if you shall go serve other gods and worship them, then I will pluck them up by the roots of my land, which I have given them in this house, which I have sanctified for my name, I will cast out of my sight. And I will make it to be a proverb and a byword among all nations. And this house, which is high, shall be a wonder to everyone who passes by it, so that they shall shudder and say, why has Jehovah done this to this land and to this house? And it shall be answered, because they forsook Jehovah, the God of their fathers, who brought them forth out of the land of Egypt and laid hold on other gods and worshipped them and served them. Therefore, he has brought this evil upon them. So my desire is not to talk about the laws that was being or being proposed that will strip of, of our civil rights, of worshipping, okay, because they've already, gloves are off. The candidates in their debates have said they're going after the First and Second Amendment. <coughs> the things that we feel, or everything that we feel is right of protecting ourselves against attack are all of the Constitution. My desire is to alert us to our peril and to plead with us to humble ourselves and pray and seek God's face and turn from our wicked ways so that God will hear from heaven and will turn his face toward us, forgive our sins, and heal our land. In the same way that Nineveh repented, we need to repent humbly and totally. Let me state I do not consider myself to be Ezekiel. But I do consider myself able to read God's word and recognize why God had the Bible written. Here's what happened in Ezekiel chapter 33. God set Ezekiel to be a watchman over Israel, to warn them of their dangerous state and of the impending judgments that would occur if nothing changed. God told him to try to get them to repent. Starting in Verse 7, chapter 33, And you, son of man, I have set you a watchman to the house of Israel. Therefore you shall hear the word from my mouth and warn them from me. When I say to the wicked, O wicked one, you shall surely die if you do not seek to warn the wicked from his way. That wicked one shall die in his iniquity, but I will require his blood at your hand. But if you warn the wicked of his way and turn from it, if he does not turn from his way, he shall die in his iniquity, but you will have delivered your soul. Then God has Ezekiel ask a really good question of Israel. Why will you die? In verse 10, And you, son of man, speak to the house of Israel. For you have spoken, saying, When our transgressions and our sins are on us, and we are wasting away in them, how then shall we live? Say to them, as I live, says the Lord Jehovah, I have no delight in the death of the wicked, 
except in the turning of the wicked from his way and so to live. Turn, turn from your evil ways, or why will you die, O house of Israel? Good question, don't you think? Then God tries to make it clearer. Therefore, son of man, say to the sons of your people, the righteousness of the righteous shall not deliver him in the day of his transgression. Not a first saved, once saved, always saved. As for the wickedness of the wicked, he shall not fall by it in the day he turns from his wickedness. So you're going along, you're doing everything right, you're doing great, and then you turn and go away, and you die in that way, you're gone. If you turn to God, repent, live for God, you live. Kind of simple. nor shall the righteous be able to live for his righteousness in the day that he sins. When I shall say to the righteous that he shall surely live if he trusts in his own righteousness. Okay, whose righteousness are, are we made righteous? It's not ours. It's Jesus, the Christ. It's not ours. If we decide that, that we're plenty righteous all on our own, and commits iniquity, all his righteousnesses shall not be remembered. But for his iniquity that he has committed, he shall die for it. Again, when I say to the wicked, you shall surely die. If he turns from his sin and does justice and right, if the wicked gives back the pledge, gives again what he had robbed, walks in the statutes of life without committing iniquity, then he shall surely live. He shall not die. God is telling us that. Even though we've done well, we can still fall and die. But he's also saying even though we've fallen and done evil, we can still turn back to him and live. The end will come. God's judgment will prevail. We already talked about that. I love that first page of the new millennium newspaper. But I look at Jonah and Nineveh, the people of that city truly humbled themselves and repented, and God repented of the evil that he was going to bring on them. He tells us that he will do the same if we will do the same. 